Good morning, Great Oaks. How are you guys? Good. Uh, my name is Chris Genders, if you don't know me. Uh, I am a former pastor of the church, now turned one of the Kingdom Builder partners. I work for Youth for Christ, so pastor turned missionary, and uh, it's a privilege just to be here and bring the word here this morning. Um, I also, if you have been around Great Oaks for a little bit, um, you know that I also gained a new title this past weekend, about a week ago. Um, here's a picture from my son's wedding um, to one of our church's staff members, um, Lexi, now genders. That's going to be weird to see on the screen. So, um, yeah, amazing. It was, it was an incredible day. I only cried about a million times, um, but it, it was all good. So. We are in our third week of four in this series called Relationship Status, and we've talked about um, leveling up our friendships. Last Sunday was leveling up our, our relationship with our spouse, and we had a, a marriage workshop yesterday. Some of you were here for that. It's a great morning. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about um, leveling up our coworkers, our relationships with our coworkers. And uh, I want to invite you, we're going to have a panel discussion. Some of our exec team pastors are going to be on staff talking about uh, their work together and kind of how they navigate some, maybe some tension in uh, relationships there, like we all do in all of our workplaces. And so if you look on the chair in front of you, there's a QR code. Um, you can submit a question for the panel to answer later. I've got one or two scripted questions, and then uh, we're going to take your questions. And so we need them. We want to know. Um, so as I'm teaching today, feel free. Just click on that. You bring your, your, photo, your camera up, um, fill out the form, submit the question, and we'll see those up there. And I'll actually be guiding that conversation later this morning. So if I see you in your phones, that's totally okay. We're, we're fine with that this morning. Um, online as well, we are so glad you're here. We know you can't always be here in person, so thanks for joining us. We do have an online moderator who would love to interact with you this morning as well. So I don't know if you've thought about your workplace and maybe this idea of a theology of work. Um, Andy Mills was a, a former CEO of a, a multi-billion dollar conglomerate of businesses, and he became a Christian at some point along that journey towards being CEO and as he was leading companies. And and, and he began to ask this question because he noticed that churches, the church he attended and other churches, weren't really talking that much about work and the faith in the workplace. And so he asked this question, what difference does being a Christian make for my work? Have you ever thought about that before? Now, some of you are here today and you're like, Chris, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in Jesus. I, I was drugged here by somebody. I'm just curious. I've still got lots of questions, but I haven't given my life yet to Jesus, so you're going to tell me I need to be like Jesus in my workplace today. I'm not. I would ask you just to explore who Jesus is. Listen to some of the things I'm going to share today, and then go to the scriptures and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and see how Jesus lived his life. And begin to see if maybe that matches up how you should be living your life. And today we're talking about in the context of your workplace. For some of you, you're like, hey, Chris, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I mean, I, I have to set my faith aside at the door of my work. I've never even thought about taking it into the workplace. It doesn't matter to me. It's not even allowed in my workplace. I can't talk about Jesus in my workplace. I get it. Some of you are also going, Chris, this is an easy topic for you. You're, you're a pastor turned missionary. Your, your faith and your work are, are intertwined. They're, they're connected. And I, and I get that, and I receive that. But I haven't always been a pastor. In fact, I grew up working for farmers. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, but I grew up in, in a, a strong area, a farming community, and um, good moral community. And so I, I worked for farmers, and um, that's not me, by the way. 
I was never that good looking. Um, and I walked beans, not corn. So um, I walked beans, baled hay, fed hogs. My dad owned a business. We delivered mineral to farmers across two or three states. And so I would drive across state lines and talk to farmers for a few minutes as I delivered a, a ton or two of mineral to them. Um, I worked in, in fast food. Um, I worked at Hardee's and McDonald's. Um, that burger is much better than what we served at Hardee's. Um, I don't, where did I find these pictures? These are not real life. In college, I worked in three different factories. I worked for Ford making wiring harnesses, I worked for a publishing company, and I worked for a cabinet manufacturer. Um, that is not me working some, I don't even know what they're making right there, but um, I worked in factories. And in fact, it was during this time that I became a Christian. And so I began to actually realize like, my faith was being affected by the workers that I worked with, and I had opportunities to impact them with my faith as well. And it was a very challenging environment. If you've worked in factories, it's a very challenging environment to live out your faith. After college, I owned a small business. I owned a Dairy Queen, my wife and I did. And this actually is our Dairy Queen. This is a real picture. Um, this was a store up in Geneva, Illinois that we ran um, for a couple of years. Had a great experience with it. Um, so I've understood what it means to run a small business. I worked for a very brief stint in corporate America, suit and tie. That is not me. That's not me. Um, but that job was not for me either. Um, much to my wife's chagrin, she, I think, still wishes I'd kept that job a little bit. Um, and then after that, I worked in public education. Um, I was a, a teacher's assistant in a self-contained classroom. Um, that is not me. Um, <clears throat> so letting you know, just letting you know. Um, but I worked in, in education, um, I was a teacher's assistant in a self-contained classroom, working with behavior disorder students, learning disabilities, ADD, ADHD, emotional disorders, things like that. A glorified bouncer who also taught math, basically, is what, what I called myself at that time. So I understand what it means to have faith and work um, run parallel to each other and sometimes hopefully in tandem with each other. Uh, here's, here's my premise, regardless of what you do for work, I think God cares deeply how you incorporate faith at work. Do me a favor, if you are currently in the workforce, in any capacity, would you stand up? Wow, if only we taught on relevant topics. <laughs> Amazing, thank you, you may sit down. If you're in the workforce and you're working full-time, you will spend roughly 25% of any given week at work. 25%. 40 hours, and that's on a, on a slow week, right, for some of us. That's a slow week. 25% of your time every week will be spent earning money to pay your bills, to pay for your kids' education, to go out to eat, to, to go on vacation, to hopefully save money for retirement. And for many of us, that is the reason for working, to make money, to, to live in this world, to provide for our family, to, to do what we want to do. And that's honestly not a bad reason to work. I mean, it's, Scripture actually calls us to that, to work. But what if God has a much bigger vision for that 25% of your week than just earning money? You see, our faith is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just something we do with our family and friends. It's not something that we, we put down when we clock in and pick back up when we clock out of our work. It should be central to how we live our lives as employers and as employees. It should be central to, to how we interact with our coworkers. If you're a student here today, it should be central to how you interact with your teachers and coaches and administrators and your fellow classmates. For years, I had a mentor named Lawrence Rothway. Here's a picture of him. Um, he died of pancreatic cancer several years ago. 
Um, but he worked for a state farm. Uh, he was a, a field agent for a number of years here in, in the Bloomington area. Um, and then he was uh, kind of an executive overseeing a number of field agents and kind of moved up the, the line. And I was privileged to have him become a, a, a spiritual mentor for me. And I remember him talking about working at State Farm as a follower of Jesus. And State Farm at that time, I'm assuming still does, had very specific rules for faith at work. Like you weren't allowed to really talk about it. And yet what Lauren discovered was he was such a different employee than many employees at State Farm. He, he worked differently. He treated people differently. He reacted in, in negative situations differently. He handled conflict differently. He stood out in the crowd. And, and, and sometimes there were people that would ask him, like, Lauren, what is the deal? Like, like why are you so different than all the other executives? What, what is it that makes you so unique? And, and he wanted to honor his employer, and so he said, tell you what, why don't we go to lunch? And I'll, I'll buy you lunch, and I'll tell you why I'm different. Okay? Some of the people would take him up on it. They'd go to lunch, and he'd say, listen, I'm, I'm different because I follow Jesus. And here's my story. Here's how I became a follower of Jesus. And, and here's why I think it makes a difference in how I, I do my work at State Farm. And, and some people accepted Christ as a result of his influence, just living differently and working differently in State Farm. Others went, okay, that's not really for me, but it makes sense. Like, I can, I can see why that might make you a little bit different. See, here's my big idea for today. God is calling us to be ambassadors for Jesus in the workplace. And God is calling us to be ambassadors for Jesus in the workplace. Think with me for a moment. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents the king, represents the president, speaks on behalf of. When, when the ambassador steps into a room, then it is as if the king is there, the president is there. And we get this idea of being an ambassador for Jesus from Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. He says this, God was in Christ... Reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Praise God, right? And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal to the world, to our neighbors, to our family, to our work environments through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So some questions that I was thinking about as I prepped for this morning. What does the Bible actually say about work? Does it, does it actually talk about work? And, and what would it look like for us to be ambassadors for Jesus in our workplaces? Well, let's tackle the first one. I read in one source that there's, there's over 859 verses in the Bible directly relating to work. Think about that. Almost 1,000 verses in the Bible directly relating to work. Here's just three. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Now, uh, this is interesting to me, and Jason was uh, frustrated that I didn't remember he taught this about 18 months ago, so I said, well, you planted a seed, and it, it grew over time, but uh, sometimes we think that work is punishment, that we're like, ah, Adam and Eve, they ate the apple, they fell, they got kicked out of the garden, now we got to work, great, you know, and some of us, that's how we look at our job every week, like, thanks, Adam and Eve, you know, <clears throat> stupid apple, but here's the thing, this was before sin entered the world. God took Adam, he put him in the garden, he said, be a gardener, work the land. Here's a job for you to do 40 hours a week. 
Ecclesiastes, Solomon, um, smartest man in the world, had access to all the riches in the world, wanted to figure out the meaning of life, pursued everything, owned property and people and, and, and conquered nations and built things and, and studied like he was super intelligent. And all, it didn't hold back from experiencing anything in life. And his summary about it, he says, there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in your work. It's the meaning of life. That's what Solomon said. And then Paul writes this in Colossians. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord Jesus rather than for people. Remember the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Work as though you were working for Jesus. Some of you are thinking about your bosses and you're like, they are nothing like Jesus. Well, guess what? Jesus is your boss, regardless of who's your earthly boss. And that's who you're working for. It's not this person that you work for. You know, Jesus understood work. Can you imagine working for Jesus? Can you imagine if, if Jesus was your boss, if he was your coworker, if, if you logged into Zoom and there's Jesus in one of those little squares on the screen, right? You probably never thought about Jesus this way before, but Jesus understood what it was, work, what it was to work for a living. Uh, scripture tells us that Jesus was a carpenter. Uh, he was a craftsman. The Greek word is tecton. I've been to Israel. I've been to the Holy Land. There's not a lot of wood there. There's a lot of rock. And so the idea that Jesus was only a carpenter is a little bit of a stretch. He was a tecton. He was a craftsman. He was an artist. He knew what it was to work with his hands. If you're here today and, and you're in the trades industry, you are in good company. Jesus understands your job. Jesus was also a teacher. We have eyewitness testimonies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of what he taught and how he taught. And we even have his enemies saying he was an amazing teacher. If you are here today and you are a teacher, you are in great company. Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was also a small business owner. He never made it to corporate level, but he understood Dairy Queen you know, realm of things. You probably never thought about Jesus and his disciples as a small business, but, but it, it kind of was. I mean, it was a small traveling school, so it was kind of a teacher-slash-business idea there. And we don't think about his disciples as, as employees, but, you know, he had several average employees. Like, honestly, we don't even remember their names most of the time. Like, there's only 12 of them, but we only care about four or five of them. Um, but they're in there. We can find their names somewhere on there. We have some employees and employers, and, you know, anyway, we're not going to go there. Um, we, we have some average employees. He had two employees, um, brothers named James and John. Uh, they, were, they were constantly worrying about succession planning. Like, wh what's going to happen after Jesus is gone? Like, who's going to be the boss? And they were trying to position themselves to take over and, and be the one. And even got their mom involved. Like, that's awkward. Like, how would, how would you feel if your employee's mom showed up and said, hey, why didn't my kid get a raise and a promotion? Like, that kid's gotten probably kicked out. Let's just be honest. He had this one hothead named Peter. I mean, that guy was always getting reported to HR. I mean, he, the things he said, like, you can't say that. What are you talking about? Like, Jesus, do you hear what Peter is saying? I mean, just unbelievable. Thomas, Thomas never trusted the boss. Like, he was doubting him all the time. He was asking questions. Are you sure, Jesus, is that what we're supposed to do? Like, and Jesus is like, would you just follow along with me? Like, trust me in this? you have any employees like that? And then, and then he had these two employees that were like mortal enemies, I don't know if you have any, anybody in your workplaces like this, but they can't stand each other. 
He had this one employee named Matthew, and he was a tax collector. He was a Jew who worked for Rome. And then he had this other guy named Simon, the zealot, who was actually trying to overthrow Rome. And so it's like, hey, let's get two people that just can't stand each other, put them on the same team. You've been in some work environments like this, some class projects in school. We're like, mm, this is not going to work. And yet Jesus somehow navigated that. And he had this one guy that, man, it was embezzling funds from the company. Eventually got him kicked out of the corner office and fired. Oh, wait, <laughs> feels a little sacrilegious talking about that, but Jesus understood work. He, he was an employee. He was an employer. And he understood that, that his work was central to his mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God. It was central to his goal of, of bringing heaven down to earth. What do we mean by that? Heaven down to earth. We hear it. Sometimes we may not realize it. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And we're going to do it in the King James Version. That's really the only true way to say the Lord's Prayer, right? It's what we were all learned, we were all taught. But uh, because there's confusion, we'll have it up on the screen. So say this with me as well. Our Father, who art in heaven. Well done. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is asking God to, to make this world, earth, like heaven. He's, he's asking, he wants to see this, this world transformed. He wants to see God's rule and reign here on earth as it is in heaven. And that includes our workplaces. You see, in the beginning, heaven and earth were united. They were one entity. Uh, they were one and the same. This is a picture we see in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Uh, a perfect world with God and man living in harmony with each other and with creation. And when sin was introduced to the world, heaven and earth separated. And in fact, the, the entire story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is God's story of bringing heaven and earth back together. It's what we see in Revelation in the end when Jesus comes back and heaven and earth are once again united together. And it's this picture we see of Jesus. And when he's doing his, his earthly ministry, and he's going around, and he's teaching, and, and he's driving out demons out of people, heaven on earth. He's returning sight to the blind. He's putting heaven on earth in that moment. He's helping those who can't speak to speak. It's heaven on earth the way God originally intended it to be. He's helping the lame walk heaven on earth. He's curing people of illness. He's bringing people back from the dead. He's setting people free from, from physical and spiritual bondage. He is literally in these, these microcosm, these pockets of space, of, of time and, and space, he's literally bringing heaven down to earth and they're overlapping in these spaces. And he's asking us to do the same thing. We're to, to bring our, our, as ambassadors, to bring our heaven-to-earth-focused lives everywhere we go. We're called to bring heaven to earth in Caterpillar and in State Farm, in our hospitals, our, our small businesses, our classrooms, our construction worksites, even to our Zoom meetings. And some of you are sitting there going, but Chris, 
You're telling me I'm supposed to go be an ambassador for Jesus and, and I'm supposed to, 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 to bring heaven down to earth. Then why aren't you telling me to, to go become a pastor like you or a missionary like you? Now, I have a couple of uncomfortable realities for us here today. Here's the first one. That those of you who are not pastors actually have more opportunities to share the gospel than pastors do. You spend more time with non-Christians than we do as pastors. You've simply never been told that your work is sacred, that you're to be an ambassador in your workplaces. In preparation for this, I came across this Japanese concept called the ikigai. I had to look up how to say it. It's, it's two Japanese words that, that combine to mean a reason for living, a, a meaning for life, what makes life worth living. And it's this, this Venn diagram of, you know, do what you love, do something that the world needs, do something that you get paid for, that'd be great. Do something you're, you're absolutely incredible at. An ikigai is where all four of those overlap in one place. And I'm here today to ask you to, to think about that in your work context, but to add one more circle, and that's God. To bring God into the center of your workplace. I'm asking you to, to place your workspace as an offering before God. Here's how Paul writes in Romans 12:1 in the message. He says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Take your workplace, where you spend 25% of every week, and place it before God as an offering. Begin to, to view your workplace as a sacred space. Begin to, to view your coworkers as people made in the image of God. Begin to look at your coworkers as people who Jesus deemed worthy enough to die on the cross for. And some of you are sitting here like, I can't stand most of the people I work with. You know what? Jesus loves them. Even if you can't stand them. Jesus does. Jesus loves them. And he's asking you to be an ambassador. To bring heaven down to earth in your workplace. And we'll talk about how to do that here in a moment. Here's the other uncomfortable reality that, that sank in as I was preparing for this morning. Pastors and missionaries, we sometimes act in very un-Jesus-like ways. We also have to learn how to better represent Jesus in our workplaces. I've been a pastor for 25 years, two churches, and now as a missionary for Youth for Christ. And I will tell you that there are moments I wish I could have back. Moments when I did not represent Jesus well with my coworkers when I said things or acted in ways that were contrary to how Jesus would want me to act. So we're all in this together. Whether you work in the secular or the sacred environments, God is asking us to transform them because of who we know as our Father in heaven, because of who Jesus is and how he chose to work and live in this world. So what do we do with this? Here's, here's what I want you to do. Here's how to represent Jesus in your workplace. Just a few ideas. You can come up with a long list. There are resources um, out there. Uh, there are books. There's conferences all about theology of work and, and, and merging faith and work. Like, go find those things. Look up things by specific authors. But here's some things that I thought about that I think if, if, if I'm trying to tell somebody how to live and work like Jesus in their workplace, how to, how to create a sacred space at work, here, here's what I would say. Number one, do your job with excellence. Realize who you represent. If, if, you, if you buy into this this morning, what I'm telling you, and you say, yes, I'm going to be an ambassador for Jesus, then you are representing the king of the universe. 
And you should never be doing a shoddy job at work. You should never cut corners. Do your job with excellence. Number two, die to self. Realize that your work is not actually about you. Your role there, your place is to serve those around you. Think about Jesus and his, his disciples. He washed their feet the night before he was, was crucified, before he was betrayed. And he got down on his knees and he was a servant. The king of the universe who created the feet that he was washing, knelt down, got water in a towel, took the role of a servant, and washed the feet of his employees. Even the one who was going to betray him that night. There are some of you right now that you work with some people that don't pass the parking lot test. Do you know what that is? When you pull into your workplace and you see that employee or employer's car and you have this undeniable urge to ram your car into their car. Jesus washed their feet. And he would ask you to be that as well. Be a servant leader. If you're an employer, serve your team like Jesus served his team. Resolve conflict quickly. Don't let it fester We've all been in workplace environments where, where, you know, bitterness and all this, you know, frustrations and disappointments and back-talking and backstabbing and all that's taken place. Resolve that quickly because of what Jesus does, has done for you. And, and here's the challenge. Admit when you're the problem. None of us want to do that. But, man, there are moments when I look back on my career and I was like, I was the reason. I was the reason. Extend radical grace and compassion to those around you. I'm not taking, saying take away consequences. Like there's performance reviews, there's consequences. Sometimes employees need to go find another role or another place to work. I get that. But do it with grace and compassion. Be generous because God has been generous with us. Use your position to bless other people. Use your company to, to bless your employees and other people. And then point people towards Jesus. And as St. Francis of Assisi once said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. It may be that you just live like Lauren Trethway did at State Farm. And people begin to notice that you're different. And then they come to ask you, why are you so different? And that's when you get to tell them about Jesus. We've got some guests back here in the dark. I heard them sneaking up on me. I'm going to join them back here. Thank you. So we've got our exec team here. Most of you know who they are, but um, they might introduce themselves to you. But I'm going to throw out just kind of a a first softball question to all you guys. Um, What experience do you have working outside of the church, and how has that helped you be a better pastor and leader inside the church? Hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dave, and so um, I have uh, a few more years on most of these guys up here. So I have, uh, I've done many things. So I spent uh, almost 14 years in the mental health field uh, before uh, following God's direction into ministry. Um, I, my wife and I have owned a hair salon. Uh, yes, I did hair. You don't have to have the best hair to do hair. Um, did that for a while. Um, we have flipped houses. We have owned and operated a couple of other business, yada, yada, yada. I play, also played music on the road, uh, living with guys on the road is takes some stamina, uh, let's just say that. So anyway, um, it um, has all those experiences, I believe God gives us all those experiences to, to bring us into a place 
um, to help people in situations. And so God will put us in places where we can use all that experience for his glory and his good. And so that's what I got. Um, so I'm Paul, the discipleship pastor here. I think, uh, so before I was in ministry, I worked at a university. Um, I ran a residence hall. Uh, as my mentor said, I was a dorm mommy. Um, so I, I took care of college students. Don't ever say that again, Paul. <laughs> Don't ever say that again. <laughs> it's part of my story, man. Okay. Um, <laughs> dorm mommy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, no offense to anybody who works in the university context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um, and uh, so I did that for eight years before I was in ministry. And then um, I took a break from ministry a few years ago and worked at Starbucks for eight months uh, as a shift supervisor. I think the experiences um, in both of those places were great, um, learning different leadership um, principles and how to apply that, how to supervise others. Um, I also think in all of those kind of fields, there's just an opportunity to care for those around you. And so, um, and you just end up interacting with people and people are people if they're in the church or outside the church. And so I think that's where I kind of, that's how it's applied to ministry, I think. Yeah. So I'm Chase. I serve here as the executive pastor. Um, earlier on, uh, when just, you know, making ends meet, um, I served as a shift manager at Hardee's. Hardee's? Uh, yeah, I know, right? Nice. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so Karen I, makes fun of me, but I still love a hearty hamburger every now and again. I won't eat one ever. What? <laughs> <laughs> I had one the other day, and it was like five guys in Hardee's. Hardee's is number two behind Chick-fil-A. Let's just be honest. All right. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, I think one of the best things about working outside the church, especially early on, was especially in customer service. Mm. I think everyone should work in customer service at some point. Um, you really get to learn how to handle things under pressure and people. Um, and then doing a shift manager at Hardee's, not everyone was a believer on that staff. What? Uh, I mean, I know, right? It wasn't like church Hardee's. So, yeah, I mean, it was really good to get to engage in that environment as well. Um, and as I preach about being a mission field at your workplace, actually having experience in that. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, so my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, and uh, I spent, most of you have heard me talk about, I was in ministry for a while, then spent five years out. But between my teenage years and in that five-year period, there's not much in a restaurant that I haven't done. Um, whether that is cook, manage, uh, make your espresso drinks, the other the guy on the other end of the drive through speaker a lot. So that was a humbling experience. But I think in the midst of all that, what I learned was um, how to engage with and have conversations with people. When I left ministry, I actually called some of my former students and apologized to them mm. for the things I taught them about how to interact with people. Um, and so I think that's changed a lot of the way that I approach people. I'll never forget my first day at Starbucks. Um, we're making mocha. This guy looks at me and he goes, so what you used to do before you work here? Because not every day a 30-year-old walks into work at Starbucks. And I was like, well, I was a pastor. He's like, oh, so you hate me. <laughs> wow. Um, and it was breathtaking and a little, like, uh, funny, but I, why would I not like you? Well, I'm a member of the LGBTQ community, so I just assume all of pastors and people at churches hate me. Wow. And it was like, no, that's not true. Uh, I'd love to get to know you and see how we can connect. And so it, it taught me a lot about loving people. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what you said, people are people. Like, yeah. absolutely, whether you work in the church or anywhere else that, that all of you are working at as well. So, um, they all need a mommy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. <clears throat> so 
there's a scripted question on here, but I think we know the answer. I'm looking at you two. Um, what's it like working together, and which personalities are the most difficult for you to relate to? We'll just move on. Um, if you notice, you're sitting in the divide. I am. I am. Don't make me stop this church. Um, let, me, let me ask this question instead. Has there been a time among you guys where there's been conflict that you guys had to figure out how to resolve? Well, let's go to the conflict side. Uh, <laughs> so let me pull back the curtain a little bit. Uh, you know, we've heard things like, oh, you know, Chase is the executive and Jason is the lead pastor. They are, agree 100% of the time, and they, they, like, they complete each other's sentences. They're so well in line. That's not true. <laughs> um, most important thing is, yeah, we have disagreements, but we've had, we've had one major conflict. Um, Jason's going to talk about that, but I want to give context because it's really important to know the context for any conflict. We were both having a really bad week, um, and we were in a hard season in church. This has been over a year ago, and um, Jason and I are different people. Uh, Jason is a, we're both eights on the Enneagram, if you know what that means, we're challengers. Um, yeah, I know, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, Jason's very passionate, um, and I come off a little bit more, um, just more logical-based driving. Um, we had a small disagreement, and then that small disagreement, because of miscommunication, turned into a larger one. Mm. Uh, so I will let Jason take the conflict away. Yeah, so we, uh, we ended up um, pretty much in this really uncomfortable, almost like shouting match in my office. I don't know if the other staff heard it or not, because we were, we were not quite... It was cool. at 7 o'clock at night. No one else was here. Was late? Yes. Yeah, okay, <laughs> right, right. So anyway, long week. So, and uh, you can imagine we're, we're really quiet when we raise our voice. And my wife happened to walk in. Um, she was probably picking up my kid from something. Or, and uh, I remember she just kind of sheepishly walked in as we were going at each other and then realized what she'd walked into and turned around and walked back out of the room mm. quietly. And um, so, you know, I think at some point we just said, this conversation is over for today. Like, we are not getting anywhere positive. We're not going to continue this. And the next day we walked in and I knew Chase is normally here earlier than I am. And so uh, I walked in and I'm like... So we probably need to talk about yesterday. And he was like, yeah, probably do. And so we sat down and, and really both just kind of said, hey, this is where, this is the core of the issue is we need to make a decision on this. However, we are not gonna treat each other that way. And, and kind of resolve to say, you know what, this is not okay. This can't happen on a regular basis. And uh, we need to walk through that. And then we both apologized for what that looked like. So. And the key to that is, we really had to learn each other's weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, and as coworkers, that's super important. Knowing how each of you can be dangerous. Because uh, every one of us, including the four past, five pastors on stage, yeah. we have flaws. Um, and so knowing those about each other. And then coming back the next day, what it takes to have that conflict resolution is mutual respect and humility for each of you. That's what it takes. Yeah. Um, because we both, if you don't know this about the two of us, when we start any conversation, we will start from the position that, position that we are correct. Okay? Paul starts from the position of, oh, I want to learn. Uh, no, we start from the position, I am correct. Yeah, go ahead. I'm gonna, I'm suddenly, I'm, <laughs> suddenly I realize I'm over here with you guys. So, yeah. So, just knowing that about each other is well, what really so, helps. Yeah, and, and, and I would say one of the things that I've learned about myself because of conflict in, in the past 
is um, how I respond when I'm in an unhealthy um, spiritual, emotional, relational, physical space, um, which is why I talk a lot about margin and, and soul care and things like that. And I've had some moments these last four years at Youth for Christ where um, I was very frustrated with an employee, but I knew it wasn't really that employee's fault. It was all these other things that were compounding in my life. And I was about to dump it all on this employee and blame him for all this stuff. And I recognized it, thankfully, and I went to my boss and I was like, I need you to deal with this situation because if I, if I deal with it, like, there's going to be apologies, there's going to be hurt feelings, like, we're going to have to have some restoration, it's just not going to go well. So when you know that, like, what are your tendencies when you're in an unhealthy spiritual place? And so I would talk about that as well, like, create margins, take care of your soul, you'll be a better employee, um, you'll be a better employer if you take care of your soul. So um, we've got a, a really challenging question um, that I keep losing the iPad, I, need it. I don't, don't know the code. There we go. I need to turn off the... Go to um, <clears throat> I'm, this is for you guys, so whoever wants to take it. Um, as a healthcare professional, most of us got into healthcare to do God's work and help heal the sick. More and more lately, it's getting harder and harder to want to stay in that field. What advice would you give for those of us that are struggling with staying in it? Many of the struggles are burnout, patient violence to staff, understaffing, how our managers treat us, etc. Go. I... This is when I'm glad I'm moderating. So because of our personalities, I will go first. Give everybody else time to think of the right answers. Um, <laughs> uh, let me start with this. <laughs> let me start with this. Yeah. In case lightning starts yeah, no, to start this. So. Um, as you opened up your heart there and said that whoever you are as a healthcare worker, every one of these pastors on this stage has probably asked the same question about, do we want to stay in ministry? Mm. I think that's very true for all of us on this stage. So the first thing I want to encourage you with is this. Remember why you got in in the first place. That's one of the easiest things that all of us lose sight of when we were in a career, a calling that we truly enjoyed at the beginning is we forgot why we got in in the first place because of the frustrations around us. So remember what it was. Was it saving people? Caring for people? Helping people along in their worst moments? Teachers? Shaping the next generation? Like whatever it is. Remember that. And I think that's the first thing you need to do. And then I'll let the others take away the rest of the stuff that's on that question. So. Yeah, that's hard. Um, I, I think the, whoever that person is, right, like, we're not human doings, we're human beings, right? And so, like, whenever you're in a career path where it is taking a detriment to your soul, right, uh, it, it raises some questions, like, is this where God is calling me right now in the, in the season? It might be like... Yeah, maybe it's just that particular unit, like maybe that particular position or that particular, if in healthcare, that particular hospital or whatever it might be. Um, uh, so I think there's a piece of that. I think I would also say, like, as Chris talked about, our, our role is to bring heaven down, right? And, and so piece of this is, well, is how can I influence that environment for Christ? So um, how can I fight for what's right in that environment? And sometimes it might be hard, right? I have no, you might not have much control, like my manager's a jerk and I can't do anything about that. Um, but what can I do to make the environment better uh, from the position that I'm in, I would think, uh, is probably what I would, I would say to that. Um, the other piece I would say from someone who stepped out of ministry is the importance of rest and taking care of your own soul um, in all of that. So from somebody who's, from all of us who are in a helping profession, right? There's moments where it's like, you can just give and give and give and give and give, and then you're depleted. And so learning healthy rhythms of, of rest and spending time with Jesus and taking a Sabbath and all those kind of things are hugely vitally important 
um, so that you are refreshed to go back in. I'm going to kind of build on that a little bit um, with a question. Um, there's moments when we look at the Gospels when Jesus walked away from people and left them unhealed, unalive, dead. Um, when he walked away from the physical needs, the spiritual needs of people, and he, he said, that's not why I'm here. Um, yesterday at the marriage conference, I was talking to a young man, and, and his question, when he learned what I was preaching on today, was how do you know when you're supposed to stay there and keep influencing for God versus when you're supposed to walk away? And we've kind of hit on that a little bit, but I just want to leave space here because I, I think maybe one of the misnomers that could come out of this um, message today is like, stay where you are. Jesus wants to transform it. No matter what you have to go through, stay there, stay there, stay there, stay there, right? And we're not saying that. There's moments where, where you do need to walk away. Um, and you, you hit on it a little bit for your own soul care. Um, but I just want to leave, or your own soul. I just want to leave, is there, is there anything else? You know, I, if you're in an abusive environment, obviously, walk away. Like, I, that's something, right? Like, anything else you would add to that? Like, how do you know when it's time to go if you're starting to see your workplace as a place that Jesus wants to transform? I think um, in some of the transitions that um, I say we because my wife and I have been through it all together. And so um, there's um, kind of an, an adage of uh, the eagle's nest. And so when the uh, baby eagles are, when it's time for them to fly and leave the nest, the mother makes the nest uncomfortable. And so um, it's in ministry and, in, in, you know, feeling like at a particular place in time we were finished with what we were doing there. And, and that was, you know, decisions that took a long time to come to realize that. But in that, the discomfort that you're feeling might be indicators that maybe my time is finished here. And again, take what you've learned, take the experiences to the next place. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but sometimes that's an indicator if things are not feeling very comfortable, it might be time to fly. And this is a this is a humbling conversation to be invited into. I'm sure you guys feel that a little bit. We don't want to sit up here like we're experts in any way. I, I think it's incredibly uh, transparent of whoever submitted the question who's in the healthcare field. So thank you for that. But I think um, you know, and oftentimes the best way to answer that, when's it time to leave, is from our experiences because we're not making definitive statements. We're telling you how we've navigated that. And so please hear that as we kind of share this. So um, I think when I left, my last position I left, it, life was pretty good, but there was something that was, Dave, you're right, just a little uncomfortable. Um, there were some things that were core to where that church was going, that I was like, I am, I'm against this core practice of what you're about to do. Uh, and I can't, I can't get behind and support that. And so for me, I, I talked to some people who I was really close to, who I knew could keep a secret, and just be like, hey, can you, can you help me process this? Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the mentor sitting at the table with me, and he said, maybe you should just step out and see what God does. And maybe he's gonna tell you to stay right here. And I was like, not a bad thing. And so Corey, I began praying, God, if this is not a door we're supposed to walk through, we're asking you to close every opportunity we have. Um, and, that, and that's how we navigated that. I, I do think, if you're back, I wanna go back real quick. If you're in that situation and you're not, there are professional counselors out there who are just helping with vocation and things like that. And then also just some mental health care providers, I think that's an important piece of this too. I don't wanna go back there every time, but it is such an important aspect of how we find health holistically 
in our lives and how we find that in our professions as well. Yeah. And I would be remiss if I didn't say when we have those situations, you know, Jason mentioned about our environment, situational. One of the healthiest things we all can do is ask ourselves, hey, where am I at on this? Am I part of the problem? Um, I'll speak for Paul and I both on this. Paul and I both, uh, previous before we served here, were lead pastors. We both left those chairs for a reason. I think both of us will openly admit to you that we were going to destroy our marriages had we stayed in those chairs. Mm. And so it's also knowing you and knowing where you're at and having that discernment. And sometimes that is having other people around you that provide that discernment with you and saying, hey, you're, you're running on fumes, you're going to burn out, and you're going you're gonna to crash more than just your job. You're going to crash your family. And so that's really important to ask ourselves that question. When we're in those workplace environments and we have frustration, is it me? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm going to add on to that. Um, so years ago, we did a thing called Men's Fraternity here at the church, and it was a three-year men's discipleship program. And we spent an entire year talking about it. it was, the title that year was Winning at Work and Home. And the idea was um, you have to win at both. If you win at work, but you lose at home, you lose. If you win at home, but you lose at work, you're not a good employer employee, you lose. You have to figure out how to win at both work and at home, right? Um, and, and some of you are here today and you're killing it in your jobs, but your families are falling apart. Maybe you need to say no to that promotion. Maybe you need to say no to that job transfer. Because your family's paying a pretty heavy price for your career success. When I think one of the ways you win at both of those things, Andy Stanley wrote a book a long, long time yeah. ago. I think I read it in 2000, 2001. It's called Choosing to Cheat. So the best way to win at any game is to cheat. Um, just, it's probably not what you That's very, that, that's truth. Say, that's truth right there. I like it. <laughs> that's great. Coming from our lead pastor. I like where this is coming yeah. from. But yeah, so, um, is the chairman so of our board here today? Week, every week. I cheat my family or I cheat the church. There's not enough time to go along. And you have to find balance where it's okay to cheat your family a little bit. And then you've got to find those, that equal time when it's okay to cheat the church. Example, if you're like, what's he do? What do you mean? How's he like stealing? No, I'm not. Yesterday we had a marriage conference. My wife said, I really would love for you to sit with me at the table. I was in charge of food, and so we were getting all that ready, and I said, I'm gonna do my best. And I looked at her halfway through and realized lunch was gonna take a little longer than I had expected. And I said, hey, I need to get up and go do this piece. Are you okay with that? And she's like, yeah, you've been here for most of it. Go do what you need to do. I was cheating her. That was her time. And I'm cheating her to serve the people who are there, but I needed to make sure that was okay with her. And so it's cheating with our time to make sure we're, we're getting the most out of what we need. Yeah. And what Jason just said there, how that works, is he openly communicated that. He openly communicated that with Corey, or like when we talk about work, Jason and I have these conversations in our office. Hey, you know what, I feel like I'm, I'm cheating on the job this week. Okay, do we have the margin for that? What's that look like? We have those open dialogues. Guys, it's about being open and honest with those situations. Yeah. Go ahead. We've got about one minute left. Um, you talked about Andy Stanley's book. There's some other resources that I would throw out. Um, I think Spiritual Leadership by, is it Sanders, J. Oswald Sanders? 
Um, Ken Blanchard um, was a business guru who became a Christian later in life and began to see leadership in the, in the corporate world through the lens and leadership in general through the lens of Jesus and really transformed uh, what he teaches. Um, so there, there's a plethora of resources out there if you want to know what it means to, to lead like Jesus, to serve your workspace like Jesus. Um, we, just, we just want to be a resource for you. So um, keep the questions coming later um, in person to any of us. Um, thanks for being here this morning. Jason's going to wrap us up. So the, Keller obviously has a book on work. You probably expected me to say that. But uh, Cloud and Townsend, Henry Cloud and Dr. Townsend, also have a book called Integrity that is great for work if you are looking for more resource, resources. Thank you so much for being here. Would you join me in prayer? God, the work that you have called each of us to is unique and special. But God, more than any of that, you've called us to use our work to build relationships, to share your love with the people around us, to model what it means to follow you. And so God, I pray for each person in this room as they go out into whatever their job is this week, whether that's actually an office or it's a job staying at home taking care of kids. God, I pray that they would see that as ordained by you, that as they go, they would see themselves as ambassadors for you and that most of all, your love would shine through each one of us as we experience that love each day. Thanks so much for this time here. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for being here. Have a great day and we can't wait to see you back next week. God bless.